Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist feminist podcast that knows that corporate feminism is for blood-sucking ghouls. Today we have Zoe and Helen. Well, we are super excited to be welcoming back one of our favorite comedians and fellow feminist podcasters. You may know her from podcasts such as The Bechtelcast, My Year in Mensa, and The Daily Zeitgeist. You may know her from the Gilmore Girls episode of our podcast. But today, mm-hmm. <laughs> we are welcoming her back on to talk about her one-woman comedy show, Boss Humans Girl, and all things corporate feminism. We hate it. Welcome back, <laughs> Jamie Loftus. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me back. Thank you so much. We're so excited. Um, I feel like at this point, probably all of our listeners know who you are. If you don't listen to Bechtel Cast already, I don't know what to canceled. tell you. I've said Just many times canceled. on this podcast, canceled. yeah, that it's my favorite podcast. So, Oh, thank you. It is. It is the only podcast that I'm like up to date with and on the Patreon, Matreon 4, so... <laughs> hell yeah oh that makes me so happy that's all i can say but yeah is there is there anything else that you wanted to add to your intro oh uh no that's great oh cool <laughs> nailed wonderful. it wonderful um so as zoe mentioned jamie you're a comedian we both zoe and i saw the boss whom is girl show in new yeah, york and i was so happy we, to see you right there we so loved fun. it we were like Right in the front row, very drunk, just having the time <laughs> of our lives. Uh, um, yeah, so obviously we really liked it. It's what inspired us to bring you on for this episode about corporate feminism. Um, and I thought it would be good to s- maybe start out the this episode by talking about the show and what it is. I tried to describe it to my brother, who also listens to the Bechtel cast, um, and just like utterly failed. I could not explain <laughs> what it was. Um, but I would love to hear you tell our audience about the show. Yeah, so uh, Boss Humus Girl is a show that I worked on for uh, around a year, but it was it was a show that I wrote that is like a, a corporate feminism, but especially like a tech corporate feminism uh, satire where I play this character named Shell Gasoline Sandwich, who <laughs> is the owner of a surveillance technology company called um, PP Smart Homes, and... <laughs> <laughs> the whole show is uh, about her basically giving like a keynote speech to an audience that she's actively trying to steal data from and also um, convince them that she is not um, because she's a feminist. She can't possibly be complicit in a genocide, which doesn't sound <laughs> funny, but I, I tried. It was, it was really good. And, yeah, I, wanted, I was really curious to, just to hear how how you would explain it um, to an audience that hadn't seen it, which I feel like is really difficult to do with comedy because you're almost explaining the joke. So I'm yeah. sorry that I just made you do that. Um, no, no, it, this has been uh, this has been a repeated issue that I've created for myself. <laughs> Yeah, I, after I went to it, I was, like, telling someone about it, and they were like, oh, it was, like, a stand-up show, and I was like, I wouldn't really call it that, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was weird, yeah, because when we took the show to, we took it to Edinburgh uh, Fringe Fest over the summer, which was really fun, but it, it was also very, very hard, because you just, like, have to constantly be 
convincing people to go to your show. So you're constantly having to pitch what it is. And um, it's really, yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. What was like your process for creating Boss Humans Girl? Um, it was uh, it was a lot of stuff. It, uh, I think that I developed it over the course of like, I guess it was in development for like five, four or five months where the way that I workshop shows like that are um, I workshop them at the Lyric Hyperion in L.A., which is just like a really, really great um, theater that really encourages people to like take big swings and and fully workshop their shows where I used to go into shows thinking that like the first time it's performed it has to be perfect and it you know I was thinking of it in like I don't know like I was doing like an off-Broadway play which makes no sense um and so uh, I, I workshopped the show for at least like 10 performances where like with Boss Humans Girl, I started with basically no props um, and very low tech and just had an outline of this show and knew what I wanted to talk about because I had done a lot of research on corporate feminism and was like kind of I, I'm sure that or I'm wondering, I guess, if, <laughs> if you've had this experience before, too, of like, uh, I don't know, like feeling like you were sometimes like lumped in with people that you were not um, ideologically aligned with because you were both like just because you were women that didn't mm, like yeah there was a time that like Bechtel cast ended up on some like arbitrary list I don't blame the list and I don't remember what the list was so that's good but like <laughs> but we were like on the same list as like like a like an episode of a podcast that Cheryl Sandberg was the guest Oof. on or like just like I understand why there's an argument of like, oh, these two things are are the same, but I w- I was curious about it, and um, and and I had just um, I worked on a story while I was working at I worked on and off at Playboy magazine for like four years, which is a whole other <laughs> I don't know like that's just a fact about me I guess, but there I was working on a story with them that had everything to do with um, how Facebook was complicit in. Um, accomplishing a genocide in Myanmar Mm -hmm. in 2018 and like at that time it was not a widely covered story and Sheryl Sandberg is at the the, you know center of that and so I was so for and and this was also I guess shortly before I was always deeply into Elizabeth Holmes culture but it was (laughs) it, it was like well timed that everyone was suddenly into Elizabeth Holmes culture around the time that I was workshopping this show pretty heavily. Um, So yeah, it was just like a lot of research and my own personal like aggravation with seeing that scam work on people, uh, including people that I really liked and respected. And it just, it made me so mad that I wanted to make something that made it, I guess, a little clearer of like, this is a scam. Don't fall for it. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask that just sort of popped in my head as you were talking is about why you decided to have your boss, whom is girl, be a tech magnate. There's so many different avenues of life that one can be a hashtag girl boss, but yes. tech feels like a really insidious a place where a lot of really insidious versions of this story happen. And so yeah. what was the like, how did you end up? Was it always 
going to be because of like Sheryl Sandberg, a tech story or how did you end up there? Yeah, it was always going to be a tech story. Um, I think just because that is like the area of girl boss culture that makes me that I think is the most like the most dangerous, I guess, mm-hmm. of all of all the corners where I, you know, it's like and I had to kind of like check myself constantly in that, like, you don't want it to become the thing where like you're mocking something that is just something you don't like and not mm-hmm. isn't something that is just actively harmful because there are like on the lighter spectrum of girl boss stuff like there's certain girl bosses who I'm like ugh, I, I mean I'm like rolling my eyes into the back of my head but they're not technically hurting anyone they're just full of shit which is <laughs> um you know so that like that kind of stuff I I think I like had some jokes that I it just almost felt like well, who the fuck am I to, like, you know, if someone wants to get, like, if someone goes in with their eyes open and gets scammed, that shit happens. But, but um, yeah, the, I mean, the tech stuff is is just, regardless of gender or anything, is just fucking unconscionable. And mm-hmm. And what I thought was interesting about the tech women in particular was that even the, like... Uh, it's it's just so it's so hard to swallow and so frustrating but it's like yeah Cheryl Sandberg also has dealt with sexism but she's also Mm -hmm. the worst kind of person in the entire world and like how can those two both be true inside of the same person and like yeah so I that that was something that I thought about a lot of like truly like has committed human atrocities appears to have no conscience, willing to bandwagon onto any cause that is going to make their unconscionable acts more palatable, mm-hmm. but also, like, has genuinely had to deal with sexist workplace bullshit. I don't know. So that, it was just the most interesting, harmful area of girl boss culture uh, for me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think, like, what you were saying about kind of how we get lumped in with, like, any other woman that's doing remotely, like, similar or really just any other woman in general, just like, oh, yeah, it's all the same. Um, Yeah, it's frustrating. (laughs) And it's, like, condescending, too. It's like, well, then you didn't actually listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Have you had anyone that, like, thought your show was going to be, like, a pro-girl boss show and then got mad about it or, like, anything like that? No one's ever gotten mad about it that they've told me. I mean, that's <laughs> very possible that they just got mad about it. But, like, I no, I, I've had some people that thought that I would, that uh, it, like, didn't realize that they were walking into a satire show and... Those, I mean, those are like kind of my favorite conversations to have after a show of like, what did you expect? And then like, what did, do you feel any different now? Or like, yeah, I've had, I mean, I've just had a few people say like, oh, this kind of made me question so-and-so's intentions. Or I've like, I've talked about the, God, what's her fucking name? Over the summer, for some reason, I, I was in like Scotland and everyone had that horrendous girl wash your face book there. Um, you know, do you know the book I'm talking about? I don't. No. <laughs> oh, it's like a very popular girl boss self help book called "Girl Wash Your Face," um, and it's like secretly religion. Oh, Rachel Hollis. So anyway, like it's just um, it, it 
I, I mean, there's been some interesting conversations if they thought that I was going in whole hog, like, <laughs> yacht queen, let's destroy the patriarchy by committing the same crimes they do. Um, <laughs> and, but, but then left with a different perspective. So that's good. I don't know. People have, like, not liked the show, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess that they generally don't talk to me about it. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like it doesn't, well, I don't know if it goes both ways in that, like, are, like, corporate feminists mad when they get lumped with us? Like, are they like, well, I don't want to be on the same list as, like, poor feminists? <laughs> I think that they don't give a shit. Yeah, I that's... Mean, they're, they're, their thing is they're too rich to be reading the list, so <laughs> they don't even know they're on the list, you know? Like, they don't even... <laughs> That's a good point. The list means nothing to them. I think that ultimately it ends up like working in their favor because if you can draw a direct line from like, you know, something a little more good faith to something that is very clearly bad faith and say these are both good, then that just works, you know, for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of wanted to talk more about, like, the stark differences between, like, different types of feminism, um, and I feel like, for me, I mean, there's a lot of things that have led me to where I am today, but specifically, um, a story that I have not yet told on the podcast, which exemplifies a lot of these things, are the time that I accidentally worked for a hedge fund cover-up. Um, and I didn't know (laughs) until after, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it was like the woman in charge, uh, was like a, like philanthropist kind of person. It was like this nonprofit that I worked at, um, doing filming stuff. And I found out later because of a friend that still worked there who figured this out. But anyway, um, that it was like a cover up for her husband's hedge fund and like you know their whole tax shelter thing and Mm. she would take credit for like anything that I did like part of it was like a cooking show of her son which played in New York taxi cabs and I did the cooking for this show yeah I like did the cooking for his cooking show and then in front of me she told her son that she did it (laughs) like he like tried like it was like kale chips I had to make because it was all like health food and he ate it and I was like oh this is really good and she was like thanks I just made that for you when I was standing right there (laughs) so yeah like very absurd things um we also one of my coworkers was working like as a volunteer she had just moved here from India and she was they told her that they would sponsor her getting her working uh like her work visa and um they were like, here, we have a lawyer you can use. That was like their friend and that they did not help her. But she ended up getting work, a work visa and was like, called them. and was like, oh, like, great news. I finally got it. And like, you can pay me now. I can like actually work for you. And they just like completely ghosted her after she worked for them for free for over a year. Jesus Christ. I mean, that's just like typical shit for yeah. people like this. They're horrible. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that was, you know, a big turning point for me. Not that I like, I mean, I hated the boss the whole time, but just like how many fucked up things happened um, with her. But yeah, I was wondering if y'all have any big turning points for you when it comes to this stuff. Um, it doesn't have to be as that's like a very drastic story you know whoops sometimes you have a really weird internship in college (laughs) 
I think, I mean, I've definitely had some, like, workplace experiences where you're presented with, like, a kind of, like, a, um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just, like, like, very early on, like, my, one of my first jobs was at a, like, newspaper but it was also just a clickbait website at the same time and like I had a female editor who I was like I'm so excited and she really presented herself in this you know girl boss way of like yes I'm so glad to have another gal in the room blah 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 and like she's a monster she's a horrible person and it's like it just that was where like I mean, I was already, since I was, like, very young, like, class war, class war, class war. But, like, <laughs> that's uh, where I really, like, professionally, I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is no, this person is not with me just because, like, we, you know, it, it's just, like, something that she's saying. And it's, like, not even clear to me totally why she's saying it. I don't even know if she knows why she's saying it. I don't really care. But, like... Yeah, it just, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it just, the corporate feminism thing shows so many, like, so many glaring deficiencies of what pop feminism is right now, where it just, like, completely lacks any intersectionality or class awareness. And so it just ends up being, like, white girls getting really rich and then doing horrible things, which no one wants. And so... Um, yeah, so I think that editor, I think about her all <laughs> the time. Um, and then she ended up like having a big hand in like getting me fired from my job. <laughs> so, so there you go. You love to see it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a really, I, I like that you brought up like pop feminism is a sort of a broader umbrella term. Um, because corporate feminism is in some ways like this subset of this larger trend that I think of, like, I think of corporate feminism as being sort of the, the more ruthless, like stepsister to like Etsy, like <laughs> feminism. That's like the future is female and like cursive or whatever right. um, on like a pink t-shirt that you wear to brunch, like that <laughs> sort of type of thing. Um, and I think that at least for, me I grew probably disillusioned I don't know if it was like corporate feminism or just like the sort of pop feminism more broadly I didn't have a female boss until I was out of college I guess like nothing well I guess I babysat for like a woman but I didn't have like a legitimate boss until after I was in college he was a woman or like anybody any authority figures I all the authority figures in my life were men so but like I definitely remember Sorry, this is Jamie that you're you're getting a bit of this for the first time. Listeners, um, I'm going to talk about history now. Sorry in advance. We love it. Um, thank you so much, Zoe. <laughs> um, but I, like, I remember getting really disenchanted first with like what I think of as being like the pop feminism slash like corporate feminism of like the 1920s, which was like, hey, um, women should have birth control, but like it's really most important so that the pores don't reproduce and like right, that yeah. kind of thing, which I feel like a lot of this is just the 21st century iteration of like exclusionary feminism, feminism that doesn't try to, you know, disrupt existing hierarchies actually just reinforces them, but like puts women in charge of doing the terrible shit. And it feels very sadistic in a lot of ways where I think that like, I mean, and, and there's, it, it's one of those, like, you know, it when you see it kind of, things where it's like it's 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 a weird like I kind of struggle with this all the time we talk about it on the Bechtel cast every once in a while but like 
how, you know, feminism is uh, money to some people. Like, they mm-hmm. just, they're just like, oh, feminism is hot right now. <laughs> so we've, we've got to capitalize on it. But then all the, you know, it's like, and you get some decent media things out of it. But it's just like, it's still one-on-one. The people who are you know, behind it and the people who profit from it are still largely men. And, and, and so it's like, it, it can be good because you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, like a, a positive message about women it spread to a mass audience that is net good. But the intention behind it is, is not pure. It's just like, Oh, Bob Iger just heard that women are hot right now. <laughs> and, that you have to give them like a fucking like ponytail holder like that. It's just, it just is, I don't know. Like it, it's good and it's bad. And, and it, it, it pisses me off. But then every once in a while, like you're like, Oh, but if, if I was 10 and I saw this, that would have been helpful to me. I don't know. I mean, it's just so it's, it's really frustrating to see. And also like a different kind of limiting. It's not, it's not that, yeah. like, I mean, and I'm thinking mostly just in, we're about to record an episode about Birds of Prey. So that's, like, mm. where my head is at. Where it's, like, I feel like a lot of the stories we're seeing about women right now are, are, are you know, you can have women, you know, having a larger presence on screen. But there are very specific unspoken rules where it's, like, if there's a bunch of women together, they are tied together by their trauma from various men, which is very mm-hmm. true of Birds of Prey. They all have to be friends by the end. They can't be enemies. Women cannot have conflict with each other, which I think is another thing that corporate feminists majorly capitalize on, of, mm-hmm. like, if you disagree with me, you're anti-woman. And it's like, no, I'm anti-you killing people. Like, <laughs> It just it's it's almost like and and it I mean it's just like reductive in a different way of like no now all women get along and agree with each other which is never going to be true because we're fucking people and you know and and we all have to I don't know I find it very like confusing and frustrating because that seems to be what the new uh, baseline media feminism is um, and that is like it's just like a storyline I've seen a lot of times recently and I'm very encouraged by like, okay, there's more women's stories. Are there still mostly Oscar winning blonde women? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but there are more women's stories. But, but, but yeah, it's just like banding together a group of women that are traumatized by men and they all are friends because uh, I don't know they're friends, you know, <laughs> like it's just, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it feels like a different kind of reductive. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I like the way that I think about this is mostly through the lens of like politics, um, like with a like, I guess, popular partisan politics in the Mm -hmm. American context. So thinking about like the women supporting women trope and the way that 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 gets weaponized, um, unfortunately, is giving me like to speak of trauma flashbacks to the 2016 election. Um, And especially before Hillary Clinton was, you know, put in charge of the Democratic Party, there Mm -hmm. was a lot of that weaponized, I think, against people, especially women who were not like Hillary Clinton supporters or whatever. Um, And I think that what 
people have come to recognize in a very sinister way is that this idea um, that women need to support women, that if you don't support women, you're a misogynist, you're, you've internalized the patriarchy or whatever, can be put into the service of getting a war criminal elected. Like, yeah, you are no you're not allowed to criticize or think super critically about the policies of a, a lot of these people because they're women um, and that that ends up becoming a shield, in fact, which is just so fucked up because obviously there are so many barriers that remain in place for women you know, who want to get into politics, for example, not that I would recommend anybody doing that, but like, (laughs) if you did, you'd still face a bunch of barriers. And then you have people at the top who are mobilizing these same tropes um, in an incredibly anti-feminist way. Uh, And it's, yeah, it's very frustrating. It's very, and, and in, even in the same way, like, it's like something that I have to, I don't know. I just like try to check myself as often as possible because there's even like some guys that have come to my show who uh i'll talk to them afterwards and they will have taken away not what i want them to i mean i don't have control over that but it's like there are when when there are women who are you know wanting to criticize other women in in non-gendered terms in like you know don't be a fucking corporate monster terms right. <laughs> but but there have been guys who have seen my show and come up to me afterwards and it seems like their takeaway is like it's so cool that you made fun of women that was cathartic for me and it's like that's mm. not Oof. what and I don't have control over that but it's frustrating and I yeah. and I you know have to like hold myself back from being like okay this is not you know because it's like okay you you know, <laughs> how did you find out about this show? And then you're just like, <laughs> oh my God, it's funny because she doesn't like, like, and then, and then, ugh, I'm sorry. I'm like totally spiraling. No, it's, <laughs> no, no, it's yeah. really interesting. But it's just, you know, even that there are like audience members that will conflate criticizing one woman with criticizing every woman is equally frustrating. Yeah, no, I feel like with what Kellen was saying, that happens a lot in politics too, where it's like, yeah. There's, like, yes, there's many things to criticize about, like, Hillary Clinton or, like, other, you know, of course, a lot of other, like, female politicians, but men are, like, too excited to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks, because then they're like, well, do you disagree with me? And I'm like, no, but just just the just the way you're doing it doesn't feel <laughs> no, but you're, Yeah, you're too happy about it. <laughs> yeah, you're enjoying it too much. Like, there's... <laughs> I was not like I did not fall in the Warren camp like in this, but there there yeah. are like some male leftists that came down so like they were so thrilled mm-hmm. that you're just like you're too thrilled. Like I agree with you, but you're too thrilled, and I need you to just take a step back. My God, <laughs> like yeah. oh, it's just all very stressful. Yeah. So I remember having like a specific conversation with you uh, that was like something had happened on Twitter and you texted me and you were like, oh, I can't believe I just had to defend Hillary Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It's my least favorite thing. Like, I I don't remember specifically what that was about. I do remember being at a party and this like cis dude was being saying very transphobic things about um Caitlyn Jenner and I was mm. so mad because I was like how dare you make me defend Caitlyn Jenner but like it's my right. only option right now but how dare you <laughs> <laughs> it's so frustrating yeah because 
And then it's like, why does that have to fall on us? But it's like, but no one else is going to do it. And they're, oh, it's, it's really depressing to be like, okay, I also think their politics are like flaming hot garbage. However, you are being <laughs> transphobic. Like how? Oh, uh, I hate, I hate it. <laughs> Same. It's, it's bad. I one another thing that I wanted to ask you, Jamie, especially <laughs> given that you've you know spent a lot of time thinking about the like trappings and aesthetics of girl boss feminism to put on your show, is like what do you think makes it so appealing to people who are not would not themselves qualify as being a hashtag girl boss? You well, I yeah, I mean, I think that it is like. I don't know. I mean, I think as recently as, like, you know, in, like, college, like, there, some of it got to me and some of it was appealing to me of just, I don't, I mean, it's, I, I never try to, like, be, like, hard or, like, what, how could you, you know, to, to, to women who are, like, into it because it just, mm-hmm. I feel like it just speaks to a lack of good stuff out there that the fact that this, like, kind of, um, that the rhetoric of like corporate feminism and pop feminism in general is so pervasive is because it just, it's all talk and no anything else of just Mm -hmm. like women. And, and it's all based on just kind of the very basic thing that like women can do what men can do. And the follow up question of should men be able to do what they do Um, is never asked and so I I think yeah I think that it just kind of speaks to um a lack of better uh options and and the fact that a lot of times that these like uh the corp that the women who are at the top of the corporate feminist ladder they're being lifted up Mm -hmm. by men who are going to bankroll ideas that are uh, that maybe appear challenging, but actually are not. And so it's, I mean, I, I, I still am like, it's also a class war because it's not, you know, like everyday women who are able to push these messages. And, and, and even if you are like a woman that starts with a pretty good faith project, if, if people, you know, like, it just, I don't know if like there are, I, I always am terrified of this happening of like, just the slow selling out over time of someone whose principles you once respected. And then you're, you're just like, Oh no, I guess that, that, that they're, you know, advertising dick pills on their show now. Like (laughs) what can you do? You know, it's, I don't know. It, it just, I, I want, I want more for everyone in terms of options, but yeah, I think it's just that, you know, men are still in charge of most of the money and, um, they will they will give it to uh, women so that they don't seem you know because they don't want to get hashtag canceled but they're not going <laughs> to give it to women who are genuinely challenging their ideas. Yeah, of course. And I, I think that there, like you said, there there's it's sort of in the mainstream so few alternatives, and that's something that I think the left really has to work on is yeah. you know getting um, an alternative version of feminism more widely spread and understood because a lot of people understand it on a fundamental level but like haven't been offered like a a a map for it you know like understand like you said growing up being like class war from a young age or whatever like that's a fundamental thing that you don't necessarily have to be taught but like to know that there is a 
sort of a I was about to say a brand of feminism which oh my god (laughs) but like a brand of feminism that goes along with that I think is really important um but it is at the same time like if you don't have that to see god this is really telling I've just had a flashback but there's like a commercial that I'm pretty sure was for Nike that must have come out in like 1999 I would have been seven years old and I still have a very vivid memory of a Nike commercial (laughs) it was the song anything you can do I can do better (gasps) I remember I think I know what you're talking about okay yeah (laughs) yeah and it flips back and forth between male and female athletes and the two stars were Mia Hamm and Michael Jordan and I was so into Mia Hamm because they had just won well this is also probably revealing of some other things but I was so into Mia Hamm um, <laughs> and they had just won you know the the um the world championships mm-hmm. and I was like yeah anything that Michael Jordan can do Mia Hamm can do too like girls rock and in you know on some level there's like nothing inherently wrong with that but on another level that's a message that's being used to sell seven-year-olds like Sneakers that were manufactured in sweatshops. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Ooh, it's not just great. Not, it's not challenging enough of, of anything. It's so, yeah. I mean, I think that, like, some of the first feminism that I, or, like, no, I mean, it's not feminism. It's, like, you go girl culture. Yeah. Right. Uh, was, like, spi- like, Spice World, which yes. couldn't be, like less challenging it is just like so money 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 um (laughs) that it's like kind of that it ends up like it stops being bad and and is good again um but but like stuff like that is like that's the first you know if you say girl power that's enough if if, it's just like if women are visible at all that must be feminism i feel like that's a very 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 bleak message but i understand why it exists because like yeah just like seeing a woman it's like oh you're not happy this is feminism you're like (laughs) but who is she like what like you know I don't yeah no and that goes back to what you were saying about with like media now and feminism's like hot and gets money but it's like yeah we're so used to not being seen at all that any recognition I'm like okay I'll watch it yeah (laughs) Right, which is true for, like, so many communities, too, or it's just, like, and then if anyone is, like, hey, I have an issue with this, they're, like, well, this is why you don't get any movies, because <laughs> you're, like, come on, yeah, oh, boy, I wonder how my feelings on Birds of Prey are going to go over, probably not well. <laughs> I haven't seen it. It's a genuinely fun movie, I just, it just very, like, very 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 concisely fits that current um model of what a feminist movie should like ticks all the correct boxes but Mm -hmm. like does it actually say anything kind of stuff but if i but it's like if you see it and you know it's a fun movie i just didn't when i when i had to actually think about it i ended up getting bummed out I don't want to have to think about anything. I think that that's the ultimate equalizer. If we don't have to, like, fucking analyze the things that we're allowed to appear in to death, then we'll be um, men. (laughs) (laughs) That's the real feminism is just not thinking about anything the way men do. Just being like, oh, that is what it is. I have other options, so I guess I don't care. Yeah, I feel like that happens all the time when... I watch something or consume any media and I'm like, oh yeah, it just was like pretty misogynist. 
And men are like, yeah, it's misogynist, but it's still, like, really good. And I'm like, well, that's not really my barometer, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, every time, if I had a fucking, like, dollar for every time someone's like, but the cinematography was fucking, <laughs> and, like, keep Roger Deakins out of it, you know? Like, that's the only cinematographer I know. Roger Deakins, <laughs> and I recently learned, because I'm obsessed with nepotism, um... <laughs> Zoe Deschanel's father, <gasps> famous no. cinematographer, she's nepotism. Wow, that makes sense, but I didn't know that. Yeah, specifically. yeah, yeah, yeah. I that's that sneaky. Takes. That's sneaky, sneaky nepotism. But yeah. nepotism, yeah. nonetheless. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, to be the original like manic pixie dream girl, you had to have a rich dad. She also, her sister's famous too. So yeah. Frequently- when you oh, have the double nepotism. dip, I've been asked that. I'm obs- I'm. I am. Obs- that's a whole other story. But I'm obsessed with nepotism because <laughs> if you look hard enough, you can find it for almost everybody. Domhnall Gleeson didn't realize. Really, he's Mad Eye Moody's son. <gasps> oh my god! And I god see him it. too. I know it's well, not fair. That's wild. If you're ever looking for another podcast to do, I would just say something about nepotism. That would be, I would listen. I would definitely listen. Anytime I like something new, this is how like far gone I am. I'm just like, anytime I like someone, I'm just like, <laughs> they're nepotism. And, <laughs> and then like, they're, you know, when you're wrong, it feels so good. That's a healthy approach, I think. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you get asked this like constantly, but I'm going to ask, is there media that you have like consumed lately that you would recommend to people? Ooh. um, Yeah. Let me think of what is something that I saw recently that is actually good. This is not (laughs) like, this is not, I don't know. We just did an episode on, on national treasure that is not feminist but it was um it was good yes and those are all on uh that's on disney plus i need to think of something actually legitimately good okay um actually i will um one of the surprises of like a movie i really loved and then was like oh there's no way this holds up in any way given the people involved but black swan i thought pretty like held up pretty spectacularly and i've watched it several times since and i am getting into i have like a ballet finsta now it's all very bleak um (laughs) so i would (laughs) there's like i yeah i've got i'm getting back into ballerina culture and it's way less fucked up than the last time i was partaking in it so that's good I need to rewatch Black Swan, but I did in high school watch the sex scene a lot of times. Um, (laughs) That's all I can say about that. (laughs) I remember seeing it with a roommate and then us being like, okay, like it was just very like, (laughs) we're not going to talk about it, but but it's vibrating through us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Natalie Portman and Mia Kunis, it's... It's powerful. It's really powerful. It's powerful. And it I is urban, sure, but it's a, it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> the episode that y'all did, um, again, to plug the Bechtel cast for, <laughs> for you, um, is it, it's an excellent episode. Um, and I did appreciate your discussion of the, the, fec- the sex scene that may or may not have, but definitely didn't actually happen um, yeah, in the movie. I, 
Definitely did it. Yeah, I, I, um, okay, and I also recommend, um, I'm <laughs> rereading the American Girl doll books, and guess what? They're, <laughs> they're good. Well, there, there you go, folks. American um, Girl dolls are good praxis. <laughs> I am. No, but speaking of Jamie's podcast, I actually have been listening to, um, My Year in Mensa. And oh, cool. I, was telling someone else to listen to it because I thought that he would be interested. And I'm like, yeah, have you heard of the dumbest slut in Mensa? And he was just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that makes me very happy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, how is, um, because that, well, I guess it's been several months, but it came out this year, right? In January? it, It did, yeah. How has that been going? How's that received? It was received pretty well. I, I've definitely heard from uh, Mensons. <laughs> There's no doubt about Like, there are certain... I mean, but it's just so... I honestly... I mean, I, I hope I'm not jinxing myself. I thought it would be worse. Like, I, I... But it was... For the most part, they were just... I don't... Like, it's just such a... It's just their approach. They're just like, um, so if you don't like Mensa, why won't you debate me? Like, it just go, it just goes back to that. And it's like, I'm not going to respond to this. And that's just kind of the end. It's, it's, it's been, um, it's been interesting. Um, but, but for the most part, it's, it's been, um, better received than I was thinking. I, w- I thought that I was going to get like really, you know, dumped on by Mensa. But I think that, that we just have have such a contentious relationship that they were just like, of course she is. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the rivalry continues. I was very impressed that you could monologue a podcast. I feel that I could not do that. Because it, it's like, it is really interesting. Um, yes. For if- people who have not heard or are uh, having trouble right now following what we're talking about. Uh- <laughs> Just as some backstory, yeah, Jamie, you are, in fact, in Mensa. Um, I needed to say it so that you didn't have to say it and brag. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we are speaking to a certified genius. <laughs> yes, it's very, it's fascinating. It's a really interesting story. Um, and then uh, Jamie ended up being harassed by the alt-right for all telling the story of how she ended up in Mensa, yeah. the products, a number of great stories that you can find online and also the podcast my year in mensa um which i listened to i've listened to i think two and a half of the episodes and then i i started listening to it in early march and then quarantine happened and now i'm too mentally unstable to listen to it i tried and i was like i can't um but i'm excited to be you know, able to go outside again, um, because I'll resume listening, because I am excited to hear how it ends. Hell yeah. But you're braver than the troops, as they say, for going, <laughs> putting yourself through that. Now I think uh, Mensa, I'm like, I wonder if their gathering is even going to happen this year. I'm going to guess probably not. Oh, shit. Uh, that's got to be devastating. I'm, I'm so disappointed. I really wanted to go to St. Louis. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. I don't know where it is. It's usually somewhere with the energy of St. Louis. And I don't mean that as to be disparaging to St. Louis, but that's just the vibe. It's a rough approximation of, of the kind of city that they end up in. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. Feel that. 
Um, so what are you working on now? Are you, I mean, that's kind of a terrible question to ask somebody in the current <laughs> environment. I'm, I'm kind of sorry that I even said that. Oh, um, no, it's fine. Um, so I am currently, I'm working in a writer's room right now, um, all over Zoom. Okay. Uh, so doing that. And then I've been making a quarantine soap opera, kind of whenever I have the emotional energy to work on it. <laughs> Um, but it's just something that, like, I've been writing these, like, short sketches that are based on, um, my favorite, uh, soap opera that, uh, only existed for, like, a year in the 70s that they're, all their episodes are on, what's that horrible website, like, dailymotion.com, <laughs> um, but it's this, like, satirical soap opera that aired alongside other soap operas, and it was, like, a Norman Lear show, and it was really good, and so it is a quarantine reboot of uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and episodes come out when I am emotionally able to make them. <laughs> that's yeah that's quarantine energy definitely yeah (laughs) I was like at first I was like every week and then the next week I'm like they're gonna come out sometimes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so Jamie do you have anything else you'd like to plug for the audience if Zoe and I haven't managed to like you know talk about if there are any projects you'd like to share (laughs) that Zoe and I haven't like talked glowingly about yet um I think that's everything. Thank you for having me. Thank Thank you so much much for coming on. It was our pleasure. Ah, that was so much fun. It was great to um, have Jamie on again. Um, People who are listening to this that have not listened already to our Gilmore Girls episode with Jamie and with her Bechtelcast co-host, Caitlin Durante, would highly recommend listening to that. Uh, fun fact, I recorded my part of it in a rich person's servant bathroom. Oh, yeah, that was that was fun. That it felt very appropriate, given the topic. Um, at any rate, yeah, corporate feminism, man. It's a real trip. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What do I think about corporate feminism? You know, I don't like it. but what do you think about it (laughs) i think it's bad zoe i think it's real bad (laughs) yeah i think it's like pretty bad um i do remember like way back when lean in came out um my mom read it and was like oh my god this book is awesome it was on like oprah's list or whatever the fuck and was like super into it bless my mother she has since seen the light but i do like very distinctly remember her telling me to read it which i did not do but not because i didn't really know what it was at the time honestly just because i as i've talked about on this podcast i don't read that much (laughs) (laughs) i also i have a copy of lean in um please don't cancel me um i got it from my grandma and i do think that there's something that like an older generation of women who like work in some sort of like white collar type position, even if it's not like you're not like a CEO or whatever, but like (laughs) my grandma who sort of fits that bill, she gave it to me, as I said. And um, I, I never read it because I don't like reading nonfiction books that aren't about history. (laughs) Mm. Um, 
And I was worried it was a self-help book and I don't like self-help books. And I, maybe it is kind of a self-help book. I still don't know because, again, I didn't read it, but it is on my shelf. Um, but I do think that it, there's an appeal. There is an appeal for, for some women who are like, yeah, I worked really hard and like have succeeded in some ways that are that, you know, co- coincide with the traditional definition of corporate success, even if I did not become the head of a company or whatever I am in a management position um you know I make enough money to support myself I'm not dependent on a man like and all of those things can be I mean I don't know that management is empowering but like the idea that you can be self-sufficient is empowering the idea that you overcome odds can be empowering and I think that those are the things that like corporate feminism can latch on to and be like sort of shake that in your face and be like look at this like don't you want to overcome sexism and again like we were talking about with Jamie if that's the only version of overcoming feminism that you have being waved in your face then like it's easy to kind of like accept that and fall into it um and I think that's another reason that people are so invested in keeping like a leftist version of feminism out of the sort of the mainstream. It's a reason that like somebody like Hillary Clinton is so threatened by like leftist feminists by like that version of things because it like puts her out of business. You know, she's, she and the sort of corporate lean in feminism in some ways seem like the only game in town, but they're not. And that's really important to remember. Yeah. I think there's also definitely something to be said for like, kind of as Jamie was saying, it's like, yeah, there's these women that like, we definitely don't agree with their politics or like their version of feminism, but like they have experienced sexism and Mm -hmm. there are like, you know, like it or not, there are certain similarities. Um, Though often not many. No, yeah, I have a friend who is a a straight man, but a leftist, and he had gone on a date with this woman who was a lib, and he was like, yeah, but she's, like, definitely a lib, and whatever, like, I don't know what to do, do you think there's, like, hope? And I was saying, like, I think that talking to, and this is not in all circumstances, but I think that there is a difference of talking to, like, liberal feminists versus, like, you know, a lib that is not at least attempting feminism. Um, right. And, like, you know, without lending into, like, gender essentialism, like, women do experience the world differently a lot of the time. Um, and anyone who's not, like, a straight cis white man experiences the world differently than they do. And, yeah, I think there are, like... It's hard because there's definitely ways in which I think we should, like, reach across and try to be like, look, you too can see the light. But it can also be, like, so frustrating. And I don't think that this is... I don't think that it's true of, like, all liberal feminists. Obviously, I don't think you can really reach across to, like, billionaire liberal feminists. Right, exactly. But I think, like, working class liberal feminists that don't yet have a class consciousness are, like, almost there. Like, we can do it. Or who... Yeah, or who do have class consciousness and, but like, don't know, like, haven't, you know, in the front of their brain, maybe in the back of their brain, but like the front of their brain haven't tied it to feminism. Um, And that's what I was going to say about like what you're talking about with your friend is I think it's hugely dependent on like a person's class position. Yeah. Um, You know, how reachable they are. Because if you're not, 
you are a working class person, then you already understand on some level, like, that there are problems with capitalism. Um, and that, like, if that's where you're starting from, then you can see, you can start to understand, like, the problems with corporate feminism. But, goddamn, some of their aesthetics are great. I mean, I mentioned Etsy feminism. Some of it is, it is, it's, it's, it's appealing, you know, and they have some good catchphrases. The whole nevertheless, she persisted thing is corny as hell. (laughs) But at the same time, like, you know, there's something being like, yeah, you know what? She persisted. And then you remember that it's about like a hearing or whatever. And you're like, okay. And like Mitch McConnell said it. Well, yeah, but I mean, like to take that and be like, you know, turn it. I don't know. It could have been cool if it were in a different, any other situation, um, you know, if it were like, yeah, nevertheless, she persisted. She was facing like, uh, sexual harassment from her boss. And then she persisted in like stabbing him in the eye with a pencil, you know, like that. Nevertheless, she persisted. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. No, totally. I, no, definitely. Like there's fun. I mean, yeah, it is fun to, like, have cute pins or, like, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Girl power can be fun, just, like, not Girl if that's the extent of your feminism. Right. Exa- that's well said, Zoe. I mean, well said. Thank you so much. Yeah, as <laughs> as Kellen famously said on our Revolutionary Romance episode, you can teach um, a liberal class politics, but you cannot teach someone to respect you if they do not already. There you go. I've said it before. I'll say it again. <laughs> um, so with that being said, Zoe, I think that's a great place to, to wrap up the I episode. I think so, too. This has been a real pleasure. It has. Jamie, in your absence, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody's listening. Thanks for joining us with your ears. Um <laughs> It's quarantine, folks. We don't know what we're saying anymore. <laughs> That's just the way that it is. Um, as always, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash season of the bitch. We are coming out with a lot of quarantine content, which I kind of just undersold by <laughs> saying that we don't know what we're saying anymore. We have put out some good stuff. I think our, our discussion about Bernie... Um, and him leaving the race was really good, actually. So that's something you can find on our Patreon. Um, if you become a subscriber, if we're, we are looking to get new subscribers, we currently have a promotion running. Well, I don't know if it's a promotion. We have a thing going on where if we get um, 100 new subscribers for 420 or more before 420, um, which is coming up. In fact, it'll be very soon by the time this episode airs. So you better go uh, right now. You better go right this second. Um, then some of us will, some of us who probably, I don't know, I, I'm in a precarious situation job-wise, so I will not be joining. But some of us will be doing a toasty 420 episode if those conditions are met. Um you know, rating, reviewing, subscribing on iTunes, always helpful. Um, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at Season of the Bee. We are at Season of the Bee at gmail.com. Send us your ideas and your thoughts. Uh, anything else you want to add, Zoe? Um, no, I think I think that is about it. Well, there's something I want to add, Zoe. Oh, go for I it. love you. <gasps> uh, I love you so much. Bye.
Bitch.